0: and thanks for listening in tonight. My name is Sandman, and I will be your guide through this strange realm of ghosts, cryptids, UFOs, aliens, conspiracy theories, and other unsolved mysteries that I like to call Parareality. Man, I've got a lot talk about on tonight's journey. My friends, in case you don't watch TV or maybe, I don't know, you live under a rock or something, you're probably very well aware by now that there is this new respiratory virus that's originated in China's Wuhan province. It's called 2019 NCOV, which is short for the 2019 novel coronavirus. It's rapidly crossing borders and has spread to South Korea, Japan, Nepal, Thailand, Singapore, Vietnam, and the United States, just to name a few, and there's a a few others as well. And this thing is dangerous, people, and we don't even really know exactly how it got started, what the vector is, or exactly how it's transmitted. Now, we have theories out there, but we don't know exactly yet. What we do know is that it's dangerous. It spreads quickly, and it can be deadly. So why am I devoting a podcast episode to this virus? Well, it's because there could be something sinister at work here. The virus might not be something that just naturally occurred. This quite possibly could be a man-made virus that's either accidentally made its way into the civilian world or been deliberately released into the population as some sort of like devious experiment or attempt to kill off a portion of the world's population. So what makes me think this? Well, you're just going to have to turn on, tune in, and find out. However, before we begin tonight's journey, let me tell you how you can contact me here at the podcast. There are several ways that you can do it and here they are. <clears throat> Excuse me. First of all, you can email me. That email address is sandman at parareality.com. That's sandman at parareality.com. Second, you can find me on Facebook by going to my Parareality page on Facebook. Third, you can follow me on Twitter. My username is Para Real Radio. That's Para Real Radio. And lastly, you can always call the show on the studio line at 615-692-1170. That number to call, once again, is area code 615. Then dial 692-1170, and you can leave me a message on the studio line. I'm in the studio a lot these days working on the podcast, so I just might answer the phone. You never know. Also, be advised, if you decide to leave me a message, you're giving me permission to play your comment on the show. So, if you don't want that to happen, you'll need to let me know somewhere in your message. I'm always looking for interesting stories for the podcast. So, if you have a story that you'd like to get on the show, tell it to me over the voicemail on the studio line. If you run out of time, I think there's a five minute or so limit, just call back and pick up where you left off. And I would love to hear your story. So that number to call, once again, is 615-692-1170. All right, this is the part of the podcast where I read some fan mail. And this comes from Jason. And he is um, writing about the very first show I did for this season, season 14, uh, that was on religion and its place in the world of paranormal investigating and jason writes this hey sandman great show i really appreciate the direct quotes from the bible and all of the research you put into them i learned a lot and there's a lot to think about in my opinion of why god would be ticked off at us for reaching out to the dead would be two reasons number one as you mentioned, when you reach out, you could be manipulated by dark forces and even have things attach themselves to you. God saying, lay it safe and leave the dead be. Number two, it's supposed to be faith in our God through thick and thin that brings us to him. And the more we peek behind the veil, the more we seek out proof, the less we need faith. Just my interpretation. I agree. It is wise to leave religion out of your investigation and determining what is going on at the location. However, when things get out of hand, the professionals always go to a blessing or priest. It seems the Lord working through us humans is the only we wep- only weapon we have in this arena. Great show, man. Keep up the good work. Well, Jason, thank you. You, I know you've uh, been a long time listener to the podcast, and thank you for writing in. And I'm glad that you enjoyed uh, that episode I believe uh, that it was another email from you that inspired that episode so that's why I wanted to read um, this follow up email that you send me on religion and the paranormal and yeah I do deliberately keep my religious views out of the podcast because I don't think that uh, it's appropriate for the show Um, I try not to Bring up religion uh, here on the podcast very often. Uh, can't always get away with that, though, you know. Um, and like I said, it was an earlier email from you, Jason, that gave me the idea to do the does religion belong in the world of paranormal investigating? And of course, if you listen to that podcast, you know that I really don't think you should bring your religious beliefs into the 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 era you are investigating. I don't think that religion should play a part in your paranormal investigation. Now, as far as what you said about um, going to a blessing or a priest, and that it seems like you know that's the only weapon that we have. If you'll notice, most of the time when people bring in a priest to bless the area or they do a blessing themselves, it's usually after the investigation has occurred. And and if you're going to bring in a religious aspect to it, that is absolutely the most appropriate time to do it, is after your investigation is over with, and you determine that whatever is there is either a demon, which seems to be really popular these days, and not everything is a demon, or some sort of other evil entity or evil spirit. If you feel like there needs to be a blessing, or the place needs to... uh, the church needs to get involved and the priest needs to actually perform a blessing or cleanse the house, then, yeah, by all means, if that's what you think should be done. But that is after the investigation is over with. And you shouldn't go in there with the mindset that this is what's going to occur at the end. So thank you for your comments, Jason. I really appreciate it. And uh, now let's get on with the show. And we're going to talk about the 2019 Wuhan coronavirus. I can get my script to pull up here. Man, there is a new strain of virus that appears to have originated in China, and it's spreading rapidly and crossing borders. There are thousands of confirmed cases and hundreds of reported deaths so far, and the outbreak is caused by a coronavirus and just in case you don't know what a coronavirus is, common coronaviruses cause mild to moderate upper respiratory symptoms. Things like the common cold and while more severe types can cause things like pneumonia and even lead up to death. The name for this type of virus comes from the crown-like spikes that it has on the surface. If you put it under a microscope, you can see it has little spiky looking things on the surface. And the the term corona or the word corona is Latin for crown, and you know most things that have to do with medicine, especially when you're naming diseases and stuff, is is a has a Latin base to it. So coronavirus that's where it gets its name. Corona is Latin for crown, so it's actually literally interpreted as the crown virus. So this strain of the virus that's going around right now is called 2019 NCOV, which is short for 2019 Novel Coronavirus. It's only the third strain of coronavirus known to frequently cause severe symptoms in us humans. The other two, of course, are MERS, M-E-R-S, and SARS, S-A-R-S. Coronaviruses originate in animals like camels and civets and bats and they're not usually transmittable to humans but occasionally a coronavirus mutates and can pass from animals to humans and then from human to human and that's what we saw with the SARS epidemic in the early 2000s. Now SARS stands for severe acute respiratory syndrome and uh, it I don't know if you could say coincidence probably not but it also originated in China and China's National Health Commission has confirmed that um, multiple healthcare workers have become infected, infected with this new coronavirus. And that indicates that the virus can spread from human to human. As a matter of fact, that's what they're saying now is that we are confirming, and I say we, the, the healthcare world is confirming that uh, this is definitely being able to be spread via human-to-human contact. You have to have close contact with an infected person for a minimum of 15 minutes. And when I say close contact, I'm talking about up close and personal, uh, no personal protective equipment being worn, so no masks or anything like that. Now, the first known cases of this coronavirus came in December of 2019. and looks like they traced it to an animal market in the Chinese city of Wuhan. And it's believed to have come from contact with live animals that were infected. The latest intel on that is that it was probably a bat. And if you remember just a minute ago, I said that coronaviruses are common in bats. So it, it stands to reason that uh, it could have been a bat that was you know, the original vector of this thing. But we we don't right now, as of this moment, at least as far as I know, we don't have 100% uh, definitive proof. Um, Now, where is Wuhan in relationship to where all this is going on? Well, Wuhan is about 500 miles west of Shanghai, and it's home to... Um, more than 11 million people. And as of the recording of this podcast tonight, there have been, and when I am recording this podcast, it's on the 4th of February 2020 to be aired on the 7th of February 2020. So as of February 4th, 2020, there have so far been over 20 thousand confirmed cases worldwide and 427 deaths. By the time this episode airs on February 7th, 2020, the numbers will almost certainly be more than the figures that I just gave you. Each infected person is estimated to infect another 2.6 people. And just based on the figures that I just I just gave you, that means that the figure of 20,000 has the potential to rise to 52,000 people that can be infected, or even more than that. So, Wuhan, as I said, is in uh, China, 500 miles west of Shanghai, has about 11 million people that live and work in Wuhan. And we are pretty sure that this virus originated in one of the open-air markets there in Wuhan. And we're thinking that it was a bat that was the original vector for this thing. So, with that being said, do Chinese people eat bats? Because one of the the things about the open market is they have all kinds of food to eat there, and it's just, like, laid out open, and it's quote-unquote fresh, you know, it's laid on the ice. There's really not any refrigeration or anything like that going. So do Chinese people eat bats? I don't know, man. I, they eat a lot of other stuff that, you know, us white bread Americans don't eat. So it wouldn't surprise me that uh, they eat bats. But it also could be possible that a an infected bat somehow got into some of the food there, or maybe was flying by and pooped on something, I don't know, it's a possibility, I'm just throwing that out there, right? so that's your little introduction to the coronavirus, so throughout this podcast, as, as we progress here, I'm going to be asking some questions, and I'm going to be attempting to answer them, so we're, we're going to learn about what the symptoms are, what our risks are becoming infected, and what treatments we have, and where the coronavirus is how, is, how is it spread, how serious it is, what can we do to contain it, how it's transmitted, stuff like that. So I'm going to be asking a lot of questions. Oh, there's my creepy clock in the background. Uh, I'm going to be asking a lot of questions, and I'm going to be attempting to answer these questions and take you along on this investigative journey that we're taking. So, first of all, you have to ask, like, what are the symptoms of this coronavirus? Well, the virus causes fever as well as respiratory-type symptoms, cough, shortness of breath, difficulty breathing. It can also cause body aches, and uh, it can lead to diarrhea. In severe cases, the symptoms include uh, things like pneumonia, where it progresses to a lung infection, kidney failure, and even death. Now, this is according to the World Health Organization. The symptoms of this infection might appear the same as those of just a common cold or the common flu, but at this time... The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's guidelines for healthcare providers suggest screening only people who have recently traveled to Wuhan or have had close prolonged contact with a 2019 NCOV infected person. The CDC can confirm the virus with a diagnostic test that, not coincidentally enough, it developed based on the genetic sequences of the virus that uh, Chinese health officials obtained and made publicly available back on January the 12th. So this thing's been going on. Remember, this started back in December. So this thing's been going on by now almost two months, and we're at over 20,000 people infected and over 400 people killed. So the Chinese, thank God, made some uh, uh, details about this available Um, and gave us a genetic sequence. And when I say us, I'm referring to the CDC, gave us a genetic sequence of this virus. Now, I kind of find it a little bit suspicious that the CDC was able to come up with uh, a test so quickly. But you know what? It is the CDC, and the CDC is one of the best um, disease research and treatment facilities in the world. Now, right now, the only way that you can test for this is to send a specimen to the CDC. So, if you think you're infected and you go to your local emergency department and you say, hey, man, I've got a fever and a cough and I just came back from Wuhan, and I don't feel so good. I think I have coronavirus. They're going to test you, and they're going to get three types of samples from you. Now, first of all, let me back up just a little bit. Not everyone who has fever and cough and shortness of breath is going to be infected with Wuhan, okay? The, let's not forget those are also the signs and symptoms of the common flu as well as the common cold, okay? So every emergency department in every outpatient facility in the United States has a screener. It's a, it's a respiratory-slash-travel screener that they use for everybody, And if you've gone to an ER within the last six years or if you've gone to uh, a walk-in clinic or any other outpatient facility within that same amount of time, you'll notice that they're going to ask you a series of questions. And uh, even your doctor's office may ask you these questions. And it goes something like this. Have you traveled outside of the country in the last 21 days? Have you had a fever, cough, sore throat, body aches, chills, fatigue, mysterious rashes? Have you been around anyone with a flu-like illness? And have you ever tested positive for tuberculosis? Now, depending upon what your answer to those questions are, depends upon whether you get flagged as being potentially infected or not. So if you go up to your local emergency department because you're having a fever, a cough, a sore throat, shortness of breath, stuff like that, they're going to ask you and say, hey, have you traveled outside the country in the last 21 days? And I go, well, yes, I have. I, 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 I certainly have. Well, sir, where have you traveled? Well, I just got back from Wuhan, China. And they're going to go, oh, Wuhan, China. When did you get back from Wuhan, China? Well, I got back from there 10 days ago. You're in the window. If you've been to Wuhan within the last two weeks, or you've been in contact with someone who's been in Wuhan in the last two weeks who definitely has been infected, then you're going to test, you're going to flag, you're going to get flagged for Wuhan coronavirus. So. That's what's going to happen whenever you first present yourself. And then there's a whole series of stuff that's going to happen. They're going to have to put a mask on you. The healthcare providers are going to have to have masks and gowns and gloves and goggles. Yes, that's true. And you're going to have to be put in a negative pressure room, which means that the air in that room circulates only outward. So it draws fresh air in from the rest of the emergency department and it, filters it out through um, a vent that goes to the outside, and it does this, uh, I think it's like 12 times an hour or something like that. Um, and then you're going to have to have testing done, and you're going to have to have blood drawn. They're going to have to swab uh, your, your nasal passages. They're going to have to stick a swab up both nasal holes of both nares, and they're going to have to get a sputum sample. And sputum is different from saliva. Sputum is that crap that you cough up from your lungs. You got a deep, they're going to have to get that from you. And if they can get pee and poop, they're going to need to get those things too. Now, how do I know all of these things? Well, because my day job actually works with all of this stuff. I am an emergency preparedness coordinator for the hospital in my local area which means that I have to deal with natural and man-made disasters. And, of course, this would be considered a natural disaster. It's not a pandemic yet. The World Health Organization hasn't gone that far, okay? But we are preparing to treat people with this disease. So I know a little bit about what I'm talking about here. So I deal in diseases and treatment and preparation for diseases all day, every day. I live in that world. You ever see Outbreak with Dustin Hoffman? Well, I don't get that deep into it because I am not a doctor. But um, I do get into preparing for and treating these types of things. And part of what I had to do is educate the staff at our hospital on how to properly care for these patients, the signs to look for, what to do etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's why I know so much about this, okay? So who's at risk of becoming infected with this coronavirus? Well, the World Health Organization's Emergency Committee on the Coronavirus said uh, in a January 22nd news conference that nearly three-quarters of cases have been in people over the age of 40 and that those who died, out of those who died, many had significant underlying conditions like cardiovascular disease, diabetes, or they had some other immunocompromised state. Maybe they had COPD, emphysema, something like that. But there are confirmed cases in otherwise healthy young individuals. It's the healthy young individuals that aren't dying. It's the other people who are dying. It's the ones that are over age 40 who had all of these comorbidities. So if you're 40 or older, you have a higher risk of being becoming infected than someone who's 20. Uh, if you have comorbidities, and by comorbidities, I mean do you have um, diabetes, like I just said? Uh, do you have uh, other underlying conditions? Uh, do you have some sort of heart disease? Do you have COPD, chronic emphysema? Are you already sick with something? Do you already have something like pneumonia. So those are the ones that are going to stand the greatest risk of dying. So what treatments are recommended for this virus? Well, unfortunately, there are no virus specific treatments for 2019 NCOV. The CDC suggests supportive care only, which means you manage and try to relieve the symptoms. You just treat the associating signs and symptoms. There's no approved vaccine available for this virus. So you can't go down and get a shot. So you just treat the associating signs and symptoms. So what are the affected countries and regions? Well, within mainland China, you got more than... Man, there's a, what, 2,000, something like that, confirmed cases... And the, uh, U S has, as of, as of now five that I know of that are confirmed. Um, the first one, uh, was a Seattle area man that traveled to China and then began experiencing symptoms a few days after he, uh, returned home to Washington state. That was back on January 15th. Um, the, the, Public health officials said that he's, you know, otherwise healthy. Um, so you had a woman um, that was in her 60s that got infected with uh, the virus when uh, traveling in the Wuhan, China area in late December, and she became ill after she came back home to Chicago on January 13th. Um, so she has Wuhan. Now, she's in stable condition. Um, I'm not sure if she's still uh, hospitalized or has been released yet, but um, when she was in the hospital, she was there mainly to prevent her from spreading the virus to other people. Um, the, The China Center for Disease Control and Prevention reports that additional cases have been identified in Hong Kong, Japan, Macau, Singapore, South Korea, Taiwan, Thailand, Vietnam, there's cases in Canada. So this is truly a global event. This is a worldwide disease. This is thanks to our, you know, the way we travel. You got somebody sick in Wuhan and the right person gets on a plane and travels to the right country or to another country, and remember I said that one infected person can infect 2.6 people. Well, if you're on a plane, which is a flying hollow tube up in 35,000 feet in the air, if you infect 2.6 people, so now you've got another three people that are infected on that airplane and Every one of them's going to a different location, different spot in the country. Well, you see where I'm headed with this. So it 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 can it's gonna. This is truly a global thing. Now it's not pandemic proportions yet, and we don't have all of the um hype that that was happening back with uh, H1N1 back in what was it 2007 or eight. Now there's a lot of hype with this, but you know it's it's not that pandemic yet and let's hope that it that it stays that way so how does this thing spread well health officials believe the virus can be passed from person to person via exchange of fluids from the respiratory tract but they you know they're they're not exactly 100% sure on that the respiratory route seems the most likely because clusters of cases have been observed within families whose members have had prolonged close contact with an infected person remember i said you got to be in close contact with someone for a minimum of 10 minutes and there's this all this evidence that has emerged in Wuhan that the virus can spread from one person to another multiple times that's the way that a disease like the flu spreads. And that's something that global health officials are watching for in all of these international cases. And so they're really saying now that it is, you know, definitely they're believing that it's, it's close contact person to person. And it's probably droplet from the respiratory tract. So by coughing, or sneezing on somebody else. The type of protection or PPE, personal protective equipment that healthcare providers are wearing, are actually it's actually a conglomeration of, of different types of personal protective equipment. Uh, they're having to wear uh, impervious gowns, respirator masks. Noel, well, that's not exactly it. It's, it's, it's called N95. It's kind of like a a particulate think of it like a HEPA mask, HEPA filter type mask. Uh so healthcare workers are wearing impervious gowns, these N ninety five masks, face and eye protection, goggles or face shields, of course gloves, shoe covers. It's just a whole bunch and and the patient has to have a mask on. It's so yeah, we're we're taking this serious. We don't really know yet exactly how it spread, but it's looking like it's probably droplet, but we're kind of thinking it could be respiratory as far as, you know, just breathing too. So how serious is this? Well, this is a highly infectious virus, and this comes from China's Bureau of Disease Prevention and Control, but the agency doesn't consider the the, uh, disease to be as virulent as the one that caused the SARS outbreak all the way back in 2003. So the risk to the general American public is, right now, we're saying that it's low, and that's according to the CDC. Most cases have been found in China, and so far, international spread, while it is there, it's limited compared to what we're seeing in in China. Excuse me, I had to get something to drink there. So what's being done to contain the spread of this outbreak? Government officials have temporarily shut down transportation to and from Wuhan by bus, subway, ferry, airplane, and train, and this is all according to the Chinese state media. When I'm talking about the government, I'm talking about Chinese government officials. So the travel ban comes, it, it came just Right before one of the biggest holidays on the Chinese calendar, and that's the Lunar New Year. On that time, that's when hundreds of millions of people travel. You know, during this time of year, it's their holiday season, and beginning on January twenty fifth, and extends into February here. So they had to Chinese officials had to put a, a a travel ban to and from Wuhan. Airports around the world, including here in the the U.S., have. Uh, implemented screening procedures for passengers arriving from these infected areas. There's, a, a, there's I think, five airports. I want to say there could be more, but there's uh, one in San Francisco, one in L.A., I know for sure, uh, where if, if you're coming from China, you're going to fly to one of those airports and you're going to be screened. Um, right now, um, they are uh, pretty much the U.S. is banning travel to China especially Wuhan um, people who are government u s government officials that live in the area they're being evacuated and you know it's it's getting to be pretty bad as far as being taken seriously like how this how rapidly this thing is spreading so it's not just the u s it's other Countries as well, but we're all and it's it's horrible to have to say that we're you know ganging up on China and you know banning travel, but you pretty much have to at this point. And I know that's pissing the Chinese government off because I've read article after article about how they're pissed off. But there's, I mean, there's nothing you can do. You have to ban travel. So even the Chinese government itself isn't letting people come in and out of Wuhan anymore. But yet they're complaining that no one else in the world is letting anyone fly into China? Well, it's because you got a nation of infected people. <laughs> so is the virus being transmitted from one person to another? Well, we've already answered that question. Human-human transmission is, is confirmed both by China's government and the Chinese CDC as well as our CDC and as of the 24th of january the chinese authorities had acknowledged something like 830 cases and 26 deaths that was just by the 24th of january um so in the past couple of weeks the number of confirmed infections it's really like quadrupled in the cases and and there's been cases found in 13 provinces As well as municipalities in uh, the municipalities in Beijing, Shanghai, Huangging, Taijian. Uh, The viruses have also been confirmed outside uh, China and Hong Kong, Macau, Japan, Nepal, Singapore, South Korea, Taiwan, Thailand, Vietnam, Canada, and here in the United States. They're just I don't know how many cases there are in the UK. There are several cases in the UK. Um, so the actual number who've contracted this virus, man, we don't really know We're we're thinking that it could be far higher because than than the 20,000 that we know of, because, uh, People who have milder symptoms may not have even been detected. They might have not even gone to their doctor or to the emergency department. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, we don't know for sure. And of these 20,000 cases um, that we have confirmed, how many more? could have been just, you know, a healthy 20-year-old who had um you know, a little bit of a fever and some body aches, just wasn't feeling well, maybe developed a little bit of cough. It was like, "Huh, eh, I'm not that bad. I don't need to go to the doctor." You know. And then that he has the coronavirus, doesn't know about it, doesn't get treated for it. Not that you can do any treatment for it, but then he goes out and infects 2.6 people and those people infect 2.6. And then he just goes on and on and on. So you can see how this is a worrisome thing. And just how worried are the experts with all of this? Well, initially, there were fears that the coronavirus might spread more widely during this week-long Lunar New Year holiday that I just talked about. That started on January 24. Remember, traditionally, millions of Chinese travel home to celebrate during this time of year, but most of the festivities were canceled and Wuhan and other Chinese cities You know, are in lockdown, and at the moment it appears that people in poor health are at the greatest risk. As always, that's the case with stuff like flu, and a key concern is the range of the severity of the symptoms. Some people appear to suffer only mild illness, like what I just talked about a second ago. Others are becoming severely ill, and this makes it more difficult to establish the true numbers of infected and the extent of transmission between people. But the authorities, well, they ought to be keen to stop the spread and and will be will be anxious that the virus could become more potent than it appears to be so far. But I don't think that we're going to have to worry about it getting any more potent. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. So at what point... If you're sick, should you go to the doctor? If you're having symptoms, when should you go to the doctor? Well, I think most of us will be safe because unless you've recently traveled to China or been in contact with someone infected with the virus, then you need to treat your cough or cold symptoms as you normally would. Now, there's generally no need to visit your doctor or go to the ER If you have a cough, unless it's persistent or you're having other symptoms like chest pain, shortness of breath, or you're just feeling really, really sick. So if you haven't been to Wuhan or you haven't been in close contact with someone who's been to Wuhan and is known to be infected, then you're going to be okay. So if you have a cough or you have a cold, do what you normally do. Don't freak out and go your closest to you are thinking you have coronavirus and you're going to die. So why is this worse than the normal flu? Well, it kind of isn't. That's part of the good news. I mean, we're still not really sure how dangerous it is. And we're, we're not really going to know until a lot more data comes in like, probably by the time this thing is starting to trickle down, we'll have enough data so we can say, oh, well, it really wasn't that dangerous. Oh God, it was horrible. But so far, the mortality rate is around 3%. However, this is likely to be an overestimate since there may be a far larger pool of people who've been infected by the virus, but like I said, didn't suffer severe enough symptoms to go to the hospital and haven't been included in the data. And you add to that the fact that China is notorious for withholding information about stuff like this, i.e. MERS and SARS. And you can see how the numbers, at least from China, might be much higher. So for comparison, this year's flu has a mortality rate of 6%, and it's thought to cause about half a million or so deaths each year globally. And as I said, this mortality rate from the coronavirus is about 3%. So the seasonal flu is twice as more likely to kill you than the coronavirus. At least that's what the CDC is saying. Now there's a, an unknown here besides what I was just saying about is, can we really know how many people were infected or not. Another key unknown of which... Scientists should get a clearer idea about this in the coming weeks is just exactly how contagious the coronavirus is. Now, a a crucial difference is that unlike the flu, there's no vaccine for this, which means it's more difficult for vulnerable members of the population, like elderly people or those with existing respiratory or immune problems. It's, It's more difficult for these people to protect themselves. One sensible step, though, is to get the flu vaccine, which will reduce the burden on health services if the outbreak turns into a wider epidemic. And the flu shot doesn't always work. Yes, that is true. But if you take the flu shot and you get the flu, it will help lessen the severity of, of the illness and it will uh, increase or decrease your recovery time. So, we don't have a vaccine for this coronavirus yet, although they're working on it. Does that mean that, I don't know, that if you're, let's just say 70, and you have COPD, does that mean you need to stay in your house and, Plug up all the cracks in your doors and windows, and wear a respirator mask. Absolutely not. It just means that you're you if you're around someone with a coronavirus, that your chances of getting it is pretty high. But I I don't think here in the United States that we're going to have to worry about it. Now, this three percent versus six percent thing. I said the CDC says death rate is six is three percent, and the flu is six. So I'm having to go with with what the CDC says, but um, I think in the end, I think that we're going to see the numbers for that mortality rate. I think we're going to see that creep up. All right. So now we're we've we've talked about all of these things about what it is, how you treat it, how you get it how to protect yourself from it, who's going to die, you know. So why do I think that this could be a conspiracy? Well, listen to this, and I know I'm not the first person to report on this. Um, This may be the first time you're hearing it, though, if you listen to this podcast. So I think that this is just too much of a coincidence for, for this to not be something that uh, is kind of man-made. So, like I said, why could this be a conspiracy? Well, after the 2003 SARS epidemic, the government of China initiated a plan to construct a national high-level biosafety laboratory system to prepare for and respond to future infectious disease outbreaks. This led to the establishment of the Biosafety Level 4 Laboratory. There's my creepy clock again. And this laboratory is located in, you guessed it, Wuhan, China. The Wuhan National Biosafety Laboratory Level 4. That's what it is. The move was part of a plan to build between 5 and 7 Biosafety Level 4, or BSL-4 as they're known, labs, across the Chinese mainland by 2025. So what exactly is a BSL-4? Well, laboratories are classified into biocontainment levels from 1 to 4, depending on the pathogenicity of the microbes in, in being investigated or, or researched or studied, however you want to say it. Biosaf- biosafety level 4, or BSL-4 laboratories investigate the most dangerous pathogens and have maximum biocontainment levels. Let's just look at this. For example, BSL-1 works with low-risk microbes that pose little to no threat of infection in healthy adults. An example of a microbe that's typically worked with in a BSL-1 lab is uh, a non-pathogenic strain of E. coli, okay? BSL-2 works with agents associated with human diseases that pose a moderate health hazard. So examples of agents typically worked with in a BSL-2 lab include equine encephalitis viruses uh, and HIV, as well as Staphylococcus aureus, or staph infections. BSL-3 works with microbes that are either indigenous or exotic and can cause Um, serious or potentially lethal disease through inhalation. So some examples of uh, microbes worked with in a BSL-3 lab includes things like yellow fever, West Nile virus, and uh, the bacteria that causes tuberculosis or TB. The microbes are so serious that the work's often strictly controlled and registered with the appropriate government agencies. Laboratory personnel are also under medical surveillance and could receive immunizations for these microbes that they work with. So finally, we come to a a BSL-4. BSL-4 works with highly dangerous and exotic microbes. Infections caused by these types of microbes are most oftentimes fatal and come without treatment or vaccines. So, A couple of examples of these type of microbes would be Ebola and Marburg viruses. And everybody knows what Ebola is, right? BSL-4 labs, they're rare. There's not a lot of them. And they're supposed to be extremely isolated, like located in a separate building or in an isolated and restricted zone of the building. Uh, They're supposed to be away from populated areas. And the labs also feature a dedicated supply and exhaust of air as well as vacuum lines and decontamination systems. Once again, think of outbreak and with uh, Dustin Hoffman and Cuba Gooding Jr. back in 1994, whenever it, it came out. So over the last two decades, numerous infectious diseases, including Ebola, Marburg, hemorrhagic fever, Creme and Congo hemorrhagic fever, Lassa fever, SARS, avian influenza A, the H5N1, Rift Valley fever, and Nipah and Hendra viral diseases have emerged and reemerged, posing serious threats to public health. So to prepare for biological threats, scientists, man, they got to research these dangerous pathogens to develop methods to prevent, diagnose, and treat these diseases caused by them. So that's why we have these BSL-4 labs. Now, per a CDC report prepared by an associate professor of virology at the Wuhan Institute, one of the goals after the 2003 SARS epidemic was to build a BSL-4 laboratory that meets both the national and the international standards for diagnosing, researching, and developing antiviral drugs and vaccines while additionally preserving highly pathogenic BSL-4 agents for future scientific research. So within the framework of the Sino-French Cooperation Agreement on Emerging Infectious Diseases, Preventions, and Control, which was signed in October 2004, China constructed its first BSL 4 Laboratory in 2015 in Wuhan, China. Imagine that. Now during construction, prospective BSL 4 laboratory staff members visited France, the US, and Australia for this BSL 4 training and and all of this stuff. And after two years of testing and commissioning, Wuhan BSL 4 Laboratory passed all of these god-awful series of assessments and the China National Accreditation Service for Conformity Assessment certified it as meeting the highest biosafety standard in January 2017. In August 2017, the National Health Commission of China approved research activities involving the Ebola, Nipah, Crimean and Congo hemorrhagic fever viruses at the Wuhan BSL-4 laboratory. Now, these viruses, as I just said, are some of the most dangerous viruses in existence. And according to experts, the safety and function of a BSL-4 laboratory relied not only on the containment facility and biosafety management systems, but also on very qualified and experienced staff because many recorded laboratory accidents are related to personnel error. In other words, the staff does something that they shouldn't, causes some sort of accident or some other incident occurs, causing the pathogen slash virus to be released into the laboratory or the or the outside environment. So here you have a brand new coronavirus that is quickly traveling the globe infecting thousands of people worldwide that originated in Wuhan, China, where a BSL Level 4 lab just opened its doors a couple of years ago. Now, how's that for a conspiracy theory for you, huh? So could this be that the Chinese government is experimenting with a virus, a new virus, as part of some, I don't know, Biological warfare. That is entirely possible because there's no restrictions on shit in China about what they can do to who, right? It's they do what they want. So it's entirely possible that the Chinese government is doing a, quote, dry run. Maybe they have a, a, more virulent, deadly strain of this virus, and they're just releasing this low-death version out into the public just to see how quickly this is going to spread and how deadly it could be. Maybe they have a virus that's 10 times more deadly, twice as deadly in that lab in Wuhan, and this is just the, we're just, this is just the, you know, stream one. We've got stream 10 over here and we know, you know, what it can do, or at least we think we know what it can do. And we want to, we're going to test, test out this. We're going to send this low level strain out into the world here. And we're going to see the effect that it has on the world. We're going to see the global effect. We're going to see how quickly this shit can spread. That is a distinct possibility, people. It's also a very distinct possibility that um, somebody was working with some sort of virus in the lab, maybe this coronavirus that they had in that lab, studying it, developing it for warfare or whatever, and it accidentally got let loose. I mean, you have a BSL level 4 lab that's supposed to be... um, built in an area that is isolated you've got this built in china now you could say the same argument for the cdc and their labs and that shit's right in the middle in the heart of downtown atlanta i understand that but you're not supposed to have a bsl level 4 lab in a highly populated area like that you're just not there's there's no they're not breaking any laws If they do build it in there, I'm just saying ethically and morally, you really shouldn't have it there. So you have this high-level biosafety lab that's in the middle of this, a city of 11 million people. That's a lot of people, man. And you've got this BSL Level 4 lab there. And I, I wish to God I knew how close it was to that open-air market where everything was supposed to have been um, originating from. God, I would love to know that. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, is it is it possible? Well, of course it's possible. I just don't, I, I'm not seeing, when you see the news talk about, Coronavirus, or you read—excuse me—you read about what's going on with coronavirus on the internet, or or however you get your news of choice. You're not hearing about this BSL level four lab in Wuhan. I have not seen one news report about a BSL level four lab in Wuhan. Now, it's possible I could have missed it because I don't watch the news every night. I admit that. <clears throat> but I haven't read anything really about it either. So why is this not being reported? It's not like it's a big secret. The Chinese government, they I mean, they're not hiding this. We've known about it. So why is it being reported on? That's what I want to know. I would love to know why the news media is not picking up on this. I'd love to know if the Chinese government somehow is testing out a biological weapon on the people of the world, not just necessarily its own citizens, or maybe it was a controlled test that got out of control. Maybe they just wanted to test it on their own citizens, and it got out of containment that's quite possible although i don't see how they 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 would they could think beyond a reasonable doubt that they could test this just on the chinese citizens because the way that people travel now i just don't i just don't think that was if that's what they were thinking that they didn't think that clearly so yeah man this could all be a big test using the world as a petri dish now that's some scary stuff man and I know there's all these international laws Geneva Conventions and all this other sorts of stuff and you're not supposed to you know develop biological weapons and if you do have them you're not supposed to test them on your people or anyone else and blah 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 that's China man come on you don't think China gives a rat shit fuck about what the rest of the world thinks no communist China for a reason, right? So they do what they want to do over there. So I just really have a a hard time swallowing that this is a naturally occurring mutated virus. Now, I'm not saying that it's not possible. Uh, of course it's possible. I'm just saying that I'm having a hard time believing that it is a Man-made that is, excuse me, a naturally occurring virus that is mutated and not a man-made deal. I really honestly think that this thing got out of the BSL4 lab in Wuhan, either accidentally or on purpose, and you're seeing a, like I said, a, a global experiment in biological warfare that's exactly what i think is going on here and i i hope i'm wrong i hope that this is just some sort of naturally occurring deal and that we're going to develop a vaccine for it here pretty quickly and that it kind of goes away as rapidly as it as it came on but let me tell you uh, this thing is ugly people you know this is this is the first time that i've been here in the, uh, reality studio by myself in uh, a couple of months. Cause I've had guests and co-hosts and stuff like that over the last several shows. Um, and one of the, the, the guests that I have is, uh, John Harrison, who, uh, is right now traveled back to, uh, New Mexico where he lives. And, um, he, um, is a medical professional. And he's he's a he's a biologist and a chemist and and medical professional and and you, you, if you're listening to the show you know his credentials by now. But he and I were talking about this uh, off the air uh, whenever um, it first started springing up, and uh, we both were kind of of the uh, same mind, whereas that you know this is this thing is going to get ugly, it's going to get nasty, and. What I mean by that is not necessarily that there's going to be a lot of deaths from it. I don't don't know that there's going to be a lot of deaths. I don't suspect that there's going to be, well, I was going to say I don't suspect there's going to be more than 3%, but chances are there probably are probably going to be more than 3% deaths once the final totals come in. What I mean by it's going to get ugly and it's going to be nasty is the fact that this thing's going to spread globally quickly. And so far, I think that we have been right; it has spread very rapidly and it spread globally. It's all over the place, and um, I, I just think that you're going to see it get worse as far as the spread of the disease goes. And I hope that we don't see. A tick in the mortality rates, but I'm afraid that once this thing is all over with and we get the final numbers in, I think that we're going to see a little bit more than a three percent mortality rate from this. And I really hope that I'm wrong. So that pretty much does it for tonight's episode. I uh, hope that you enjoyed this episode of Parareality and learning all about the Wuhan coronavirus what it is, what to look for, how to treat it, which is just like the common cold, really, and what my conspiracy theories are about it. Let me know what your ideas and thoughts about it are. Send me an email. Email address is sandman at parareality.com. That's sandman at parareality.com. Or you can get in touch with me through my social media accounts. That's Parareality on Facebook and Parareal Radio on Twitter. You can also call the studio line. That number is 615 692 1170. Number call again is area code 615, then Dow 692 1170. And of course, don't forget to visit parareality.com often to keep up on the latest paranormal news from all around the world. The uh, News content, the news portion of of my website is updated daily. And uh, it, uh, like I said, contains paranormal news from all over the world with all categories ghosts, hauntings, aliens, UFOs, cryptozoology, unsolved mysteries, unexplained stuff you name it. So if you like to read about paranormal news, then parareality.com is the news source for you. And you also you can uh, shop in the Parareality radio store and watch some of the terrible videos that I made for the show over the years uh, on parareality.com. That's under the extras tab there. Uh, and you can actually follow my social media accounts right at the bottom of the Parareality homepage. Uh, social media is where you can find out all about what's happening behind the scenes of the podcast because that's where I post a lot of interesting articles and show topics and other interesting stuff like you know, my private travels and some of my investigations that I do. Parareality.com is really your one-stop shopping for everything that's happening in the parareality world. Parareality can be heard on your favorite podcast station. The show's available on just it, all major podcast platforms Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Podcast, Player FM, Deezer, Castbox, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Podcast Addict, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Just search for Parareality on whatever your favorite podcast platform is. If you have a smart speaker, you can listen there too. And if you have any of the already mentioned podcast skills on your device, just say, play the Para Reality Podcast. If you want to uh, watch some of my show videos uh, or uh, follow me on YouTube, my YouTube account is Para Reality One. That's Para Reality, and the number one out behind it if you want to do the YouTube thing. And the latest thing that I'm excited about is that I now have a Patreon account. For the podcast, and I'd really love it if you'd sign up to be a patron. There are three tiers of support, and all are extremely affordable. They're $5 a month or less, and each level offers exclusive content along with the ability to help create podcast episodes and even the chance to be a guest or a co host on the podcast. To learn more, head on over to Patreon.com and look for Parareality. 100% of the proceeds from Patreon goes back into producing this podcast. Everyone, the next episode of Parareality will air on Friday, February 21st, 2020, at 8 o'clock p.m. Central U.S. Time. And I've had a couple of people ask me, what the hell happened to Eric? You know, he kind of disappears every once in a while. And Eric's my part-time, he's my bud, my part-time co-host. He he comes on whenever we can get our schedules to work out. It just hasn't worked out that, you know, like that. People uh, have asked me, you know, did I fire Eric and replace him with John Harrison? Absolutely not. Eric is still a very active part of Parareality. Uh, I just, you know, John was in town and, and, uh, uh he had, uh, availability to come on the podcast a couple of times and Eric wasn't around. And so that's why I had John fill in for Eric. Basically, Eric, I hope is going to be back in the studio with me on February the twenty twenty first. 21st. So just make sure you turn on tune in and find out. Everyone, I hope that this radio program opens up your mind to new ways of thinking, expands your consciousness, and produces a change in the way you see the world. If you wish to change, you must list the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe. I hope that you have a wonderful evening, and I will see you again in two weeks. Good night, everybody. If you wish to change, you must first lift the veil of ignorance that has been cast over your eyes. Only then will you see the true power of the universe.